Afternoon Drive with Goodman and Fry, presented by Silter Har Mazda. A no-pressure buying experience in Broomfield at Silter Har Mazda. Find them at sthmazda.com. Live from the Sasquatch Casino and Wildcard Casino Sports Desk, here's Eric and Terry. Well, well, Justin, you know that it's usually Eric and it's Goodman and Fry, but today we have you filling in, Justin Adams from TBS4. It's been a lot of fun. Hell yeah. Been a lot of fun, man. We got another hour to go, so let's do this thing. Well, the, the problem, though, is if Ralphie Six just burst through the door of Bile High Sports, <laughs> and his, there was such a stirring rendition of the fight song that she, yes, she, Ralphie yes. is a she. It's amazing how many people don't know that. It's, uh, you, you know what, it's, you just got to teach them. Well, we got to put weight on Ralphie, by the way. Yeah. Well, First of all, she's really little yeah. compared to her predecessors. She eats a lot of kale salads out there, so uh, we got to put some meat and potatoes on her. Literally, a lot of meat and potatoes. So. Well, we're on the phone with Ryan Bolding of NHL.com, Colorado Hockey Now, and the Saturday noon hockey show on Mile High Sports Radio. We're going to talk about the Avalanche. But first, Ryan, tell us about the Saturday show. Hello, yes. I, I may not be the better looking of the, the two of us, but I might be the more hockey knowledgeable of the two of us from the hockey show. What, what do you guys do and what do you talk about? Yeah, all hockey, NHL hockey all the time. I mean, not even just NHL. We got to talk, you know, my national championship pioneers and hockey at large on the hockey show. Justin. Yeah. Ryan is a snooty DU alum. Oh, come on, man. Dude, by the way, congratulations, man. I, I can't give you any crap when your team just won the, you know, the natty. You win that right. championship. Uh, you know what? It's easy to talk about the Avs. I quickly do have a question about DU. Um, they went into that uh, the Frozen Four, and the teams that they beat, you could make the argument that Michigan and I believe it was uh, Minnesota State, am I correct, they had more talent than DU. How were they able to win and win convincingly in the national championship game? I don't know if they had more talent, but you look at like Michigan, they definitely had a very potent uh, line or two of players, kids who are first overall or first round draft picks going to NHL teams when the season ended. So, um, you know, pretty miraculous the way that they were able to play. But I think that's credit to goaltending, to systems, and ultimately David Carl's coaching staff. I'm going to follow up with another. Uh before we get to the avalanche, you've got a pretty interesting background, how you got into hockey writing, hockey journalism, hockey broadcasting. Tell our yeah. listeners how you did that. I did it the really long backwards way, Terry, where instead of uh, you know getting a journalism degree, doing internships and making connections, I just started my own website and started writing and uh, making enemies and then friends. And Who are the enemies? And working my way up. Well, it seemed like at one point in time, everyone at the Denver Post, but then they kind of came around. You yeah, know, I, I put the shine on, and they really liked me. So, Well, you've come a long way, and we're proud of you. And uh, uh, That sounds condescending. I'm, I'm, uh, let me take that back. We just know how good you are and what a valued member you are of the journalism fraternity. So I appreciate that. I have come a long way. And you, you work for three, three or four different people, depending on what you count. So you're a busy man, so... We appreciate the time. One of the things you did today was go out to Denver International Airport and go through the avalanche media availability. And I, I think I hear that you saw Darcy Kemper actually walking and getting into onto the plane. Yeah, as far as I could tell, Darcy Kemper had two arms, two hands, to clarify, two legs, two feet, two eyes, 
and was walking under his own power. So I, I can't comment on to whether he'll be playing tomorrow or available, but he is alive. He does exist. But Ryan, the real question is, was he able to clearly see his two arms and two legs? Was he able to, to really see himself well? Listen, he, he was alone, so he definitely drove himself, as far as I could tell. He could pull <laughs> his luggage bag. He had, I didn't see him walk into a door, so I think we're all good there. Maybe he took the light rail or Uber. He could have, but I, yeah, maybe Uber. I don't know. The light rail doesn't really go out to the signature private terminal out there. That might be a long walk from the, the main terminal. Okay, but seriously, what, what do you think is the state of the avalanche goaltending now? Is it Pavel Francis's job now to lose it, even even if Darcy Camper is pronounced okay? I think it's tricky, and it kind of mirrors what's going on with Mike Smith and Edmonton, right? So Mike Smith got them there, just like mostly Darcy got them there. And I think if, if he's healthy, it's his net. But I'm not so sure that he is healthy. And I kind of suspect that this might be a, a, an injury or situation where it's going to be his call as to whether he's feeling comfortable or not. And I think in the meantime, everything seems safe and secure with pa- Pavel Francois in net. So, yeah, in game the other in game one, which I what I didn't understand was when Pablo Francois said he had gotten a little advance notice on going in, and uh, warmed up through two shifts, and it was a power play. So, well, if Dar- if Darcy Kemper can't see, why would you leave him in for even those two two shifts on a power play? Yeah, I guess I think you know you kind of alluded to it. Jared Bednar said it was a power play, so we didn't have any emergency kind of uh, situation there. But, but what if there's yeah. a break, shorthanded breakaway, which happens all the time? I mean, that could have been the difference in the game ultimately when the, you know all was said and done and the, the snow cleared from the ice and we had 14 goals. But I think it's also scary because he could get hurt or hurt worse you know, if he can't see the puck, which is kind of, I think, what people are assuming here after taking one off the face. Uh, you, you don't want to risk further injury from a guy who can't safely play the position. So are the oil done like dinner? I don't think they're done. It certainly looks grim for them. But, you know, this is the team that got to the Western Conference Final through a lot of hard work on their end. And they have a very potent team. I think if Kyler Yamamoto is is hurt long term, he left the game yesterday, that's a a big loss from them. But, you know, they've got Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl, and those two guys aren't going to go quietly into the night. Speaking to Ryan Bolding of NHL.com and several other different outlets as well. And what was the biggest change for the Avs between Game 1 and Game 2? Game 1, they gave up goals to pretty much everybody and somehow was still able to win the game. And then Game 2, Blake Edmonton. What was the biggest change defensively that helped the Avalanche out? I think defensively it was just a, a focus back on you know the small details of the game and and not just letting, uh, you know, some fire wagon hockey kind of get away from them. Taves and Makar, you know, the Avalanche's most important defensive pairing, they had a real strong recovery from game one. They got they got burned from some goals. And Josh Manson, I think he had a very solid recovery from a kind of pedestrian game from himself in game one. And then the Avalanche just kind of waited. And as soon as they had the opportunity on some Edmonton mistakes, you know, three quick goals in the net before you realize what happened. So, Nathan, Nathan, how is, in your mind, the scorecard on the Nathan McKinnon versus Connor McDavid duel? Yeah, I think McKinnon has the edge right now, but, you know, McDavid is certainly a lethal player every time he's on the ice. I think at times this season, 
Uh, Edmonton has had to rely on some Herculean efforts from him, and that's not necessarily fair when the whole team is on your back. But we've seen McKinnon do it too. He had a hat trick there in uh, St. Louis in a big game, um, and he had a really big goal, I think, last night, kind of kind of putting the Oilers away, putting them on ice at the end of that game. Not that they were in, in any position to kind of crawl back into it, but you know, put the icing on the cake in that one. You know what's interesting? We could talk about Kel McCarr and, and the way that he's played, especially the first series against Nashville. You obviously know the rest of the stars, um, you know, McKinnon, um, all the rest of the crew, right? It was great to see Miko uh, get to the back of the net last night. But I think the best player so far that has played for the Avs in the playoffs have actually been Nazem Kadri. Uh, what has he meant for this team? Because I remember last year he was suspended for the second round, and the Avs, they just couldn't recover, especially when uh, uh, Vegas started to get some Ws under their belt. How important is Nazem Kadri to the success of this team? I think Kadri has been important in getting the team to where they are. You know, he had a phenomenal regular season, the best of his career. I mean, he may have outplayed himself out of Colorado with the, the dump trucks full of money he's going to get after the season that he had. But I actually asked Gabriel Landeskog about how important Kadri's been just in the postseason alone for this team. And he said he's been huge for the team. He's a big game player, and he's been in a very important piece. He obviously had a statement game in St. Louis after receiving, you know, racist threats and comments, which obviously as a, as a Muslim, uh, he's going to receive at all times in this country and maybe a little bit in Canada too. And to have a statement game like that, I think is very important. And then even last night, you know, he had three primary assists on those three goals in that two minutes and four seconds there. And it's just huge to, to have the opportunity to pick apart your opponent like that so thoroughly and, and give yourself a real cushion in this best-of-seven series. You're a Colorado and you're a DU alum. How have you witnessed the maturation? You played hockey. How do you, how do you witness the, and rate the maturation of Denver and Colorado as hockey markets? Yeah, I think, you know, it's it's interesting how hockey goes as an NHL team goes, or at least hockey in the city goes, right? So the Avalanche moved to town, and hockey has a big boon, just like you, you see Austin Matthews going as the first overall pick. He's a kid inspired by the Arizona Coyotes showing up, right? right. You start to see those things around the country. Um, I think Colorado's done a good job. I know you were talking about it in the, the media room, what was that, yesterday, about you know, players who have come through the Thunderbirds program. Um, we can't forget the uh, the Shore family who went through the DU program and had some some time in the uh, the NHL spotlight. We had Nick Shore playing for Team USA at the Olympics this year, so it's good to see and you, you see more of it. I think it's a little bit unfortunate uh, that some players kind of cap out after the Thunderbirds and have to go on to other places to really take the next step. That's what. I think Colorado is missing now is kind of that in-between. CU and CSU have to start hockey. Immediately. Yeah, right. (laughs) Uh, Immediately competitive ones. Exactly. Uh, Before we let you go, I I am interested in your thoughts on the Easter Conference Finals and what happened from here. We're all thinking that Tampa Bay is going to win, but this, to me, it just screams seven-game series. So what's your prediction? We talked about – Earlier on, we had another guest, and we talked about what will happen in the NBA Finals. Eastern Conference Finals, what's your prediction overall? Well, it's hard to sleep on Tampa, right? I slept on Tampa. I thought they would beat Toronto, and they did. I thought they would lose to the Florida Panthers, and they really shut me up there. So I think it's, it's hard to sleep on a team trying to be a three-peat champion here. 
But I don't know. The Rangers looked really good in game one, and Tampa looked really rusty. Maybe, you know, eight, nine days off was too much for them, and they might have a hard time getting it going where the Rangers are playing, you know, day on, day off. So I like where the Rangers are at, and I feel like game two um, in either series is probably going to be one of the most pivotal games. So I think it's really going to come down to how this goes. If if New York can get out of there with a, a 2 nothing lead, I think it's going to be, uh, you know, dire straits here for Tampa. Well, before we let you go, my turn to say that. Uh, there was an announcement here this week from the NHL, which didn't get a lot of attention around here, but Daryl Sutter was named the winner of the Jack Adams Award for Coach of the Year. Jared Bednar was not even a finalist. What's he got to do to get that attention? I've been beating this drum, I feel like, for half the season. I did at least two stories at Colorado Hockey Now about it. Um, and I think the same is true of John Cooper from Tampa Bay, but I don't know what it takes. You know, it seems like the the Coach of the Year award is just given to uh, most improved team coached by ex-coach or, instead of, you know, a, a legacy of success. Or perceived to that, be a leading an overachieving team. Yeah, I think what Sutter did with Calgary, you know, he he not only cleaned them up defensively, but he added a, bit, a like more than a goal per game to their their stat line this season over last, and I think that's impressive. But you look at a guy like John Cooper, who is leading his team to potentially the third Stanley Cup final uh, that they have an opportunity to win. You look at Jared Bednar; he's the the first coach in Avalanche history to lead the team to five postseason berths. I mean, this is a both of these coaches have a legacy of success, and I think that when Patrick Waugh won in 2013 and then had a real bad year afterward, it kind of scared a lot of voters. Um, and I think it should be a little bit of an adjustment and, you know, a coach that can prove they can coach success year after year instead of a guy coming in, having a, one good year, and that's it. That 2013-2014 season when Nathan McKinnon won the Rookie of the Year award, they called her trophy. I think we all kind of forget about that sometimes because of the idea that uh, we thought the Avalanche had arrived. We thought they were going to keep piling up those points. They went from 112 to 48. So they've really been over a couple of years, of course. But they've really, really rebuilt since then, and that's probably something we don't talk enough about, kind of the rebuild from the, from the awful period, the 48-point season. Yeah, and I think when you look at Joe Sackick and his – where his where he is in the uh, let's say the Mount Rushmore of Denver general managers, um, there are missteps in there too. He's had a real good legacy here lately, but you know he added Sean Matthias and Mikhail Bodker as rentals uh, one Ooh. year. When yeah, exactly, <laughs> two guys who didn't do much were rentals on their way out of town, and you know it it cost the team to give up assets for those guys at that period of time when they weren't ready. So things have gone well now, but. I mean, look at the the consistency of this team and how they've grown together, and just you know the firepower and the the depth pieces that have been added. Uh, he certainly, de- I I think, deserves kudos for that. So, what are you doing on the hockey show tomorrow at noon? Well, now I got to throw out my whole show because we talked about everything. So we'll, <laughs> I guess it's going to depend well, on what the Rangers do. Well, you know what you can do tomorrow. I, I I realize you're a busy guy, so you weren't paying attention when we were doing the earlier in the show. But Justin sang the CU fight song, so now. Now, as your parting shot, you have to sing the DU fight song. Do you even oh, know the DU fight song? It, it comes in waves. I, I, I feel like this big swell of uh, collegiate pride when the, the Frozen Four is on, and I learn the fight song all over again, and then it, it kind of leaks out of my brain as the Stanley Cup playoffs go on. 
Well, thanks, Brian. It's been a pleasure. We'll have you back. <laughs> hey, man, thanks for being on, brother. Thanks for having me, guys. So when we come back, we're going to talk about the Celtics-Warriors game one and where they go from there. And there was a surprising star in game one. Here's a hint. He's a buff. Oh, no kidding. Yes, sir. We'll be right back. Every rich 